1205 WHMP. And welcome to the Afternoon Buzz. Thank you so much for joining us. Dan Torres, hello to you. How's it going, Buzz? It's How's going your Monday? Good. What have you been up to this weekend? I want to know. The listeners want to know. I got oh, emails about it. We had a great it. past weekend. Um, I'm going to tell you in a very short amount of time that on Friday, our uh, dear BFFs of almost a half a century, um, because of for a variety of personal reasons, they're moving up to Montpelier, Vermont. So they, we had a sleepover. We've traveled oh. together, so they we had dinner with them, and they slept over, and it was just a great, and then we, a big Very hug-a-thon cool. on Sunday. I was, yeah, was, I was just there a couple of weeks ago in, out in Vermont. Yeah, this is in Montpelier. They're yeah, up. I was there. I mean, I went there before Burlington. And you didn't say hello to them? Damn. I, I was disappointed. You had friends I could stay with, Buzz. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I almost got to go see Jerry Seinfeld in Worcester. I was trying to give away the tickets. Yeah, on, you offered the tickets to me. But to, yeah, I was trying to get rid of them. I was trying anybody to take them, and it was hard to do. Yeah. But anyway, then we, we went to the Amherst Cinema. We've gone to the cinema four times in two years, and we've made our way and back What did to you Amherst. see? We saw The Queen of Glory, which is a wonderful indie film. If I don't know how long it's going to be there, but if you get a chance, go see it. It is about a... You don't find out until a third of the way into the film, but the, the principal character that is uh, Ghanaian. She's a woman from, with one foot in her Ghanaian, her Ghana past, yeah. and the other foot in her... Um, I think she's like a doing her dissertation on something, you know, molecular, blah blah and, um, you know, she's super smart, and you get to know the tension between her crazy family, who were Ghanaians, and her, the craziness of our society, and oh. it, was a, it was great. We oh, were okay. really glad to see it. And then we had some people over for dinner last night. So nice. we had a good weekend, and we worked in the garden, and um, every day is another day I get to be with my wonderful wife. So there you go. It's not bad. Yes, and um, I would keep talking about that weekend, except that we got stuff to do. Um, I just want to flag that today, um, in the second half of the program, Megan Zinn uh, on her Cabin Fever Roundtable is bringing in Gwen Agna, the former principal of Jackson Street Elementary School here in Northampton, and she's now the vice chair of the Northampton School Committee, talking about what are we doing now that the kids are coming back when we're still in some sort of pandemic that we're all trying to figure out what to do with. So there's that. And then tomorrow, uh, I recommend people tune in for 4 o'clock tomorrow. The Center for New Americans attorney, Alex Kaysen, will be updating us on the regional effort to reset all Afghans. Uh, it's an important story of this region's contributions to uh, helping to resolve the crisis that so many find themselves in, not wanting to be... Uh, sent back to, um, you know, near death, if not death, if they go back to a Taliban-run Afghanistan. But what we uh, have right now before us is uh, something that I always look forward to. I relish our time on First Monday with uh, law professor emeritus Bruce Miller, who's here in studio. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Buzz. Hey, Dan. Good to see you guys. It's so great to see you. And I, uh, I can't think of too many places I'd rather be or people I'd rather be with than with you on a first Monday. By the way, it's not a first Monday. It's a second Monday because first Monday was Labor Day and we were preempted. But Just here like we are. We were on 4th of July, but we're here. There we go. We're Good. doing our first Monday on second Monday. Good. Good. I just confused myself. <laughs> 
So we, I, I wanted to talk to you, Bruce, about privileges. And for uh, listeners, the word has been thrown around a lot recently. Uh, from time to time, we have the specter of executive privilege um, uh, seemingly used to shield other branches, the judicial branch or the congressional legislative branch, from having access to high-level communications that the executive branch, the, headed by the president, might have engaged in. Um, privileges are usually statutory in nature. That is, they're not constitutional. Legislatures create privileges. Like here in Massachusetts, we have a spousal privilege. Uh, a spouse need not testify in court against the spouse because the institution of marriage is revered by our society such that we don't want to cause that to happen. We have attorney-client privileges. That kind of is important to me. If a client tells me they're about to murder someone, the rules of my profession require that I knock on one, uh, knock them out. But if they tell me what they did yesterday, then the rules of my profession preclude me. I will be disbarred if I disclose that confidence. So there's a privilege against disclosure. Same is true for physician and patient and therapist and patient and clergy and communicant and certain trade secrets that you sign a contract, we recognize the privilege not to disclose those. But what we're talking about here in the Trump uh, morass we find ourselves in, and then I'd like to talk to you, Bruce Miller, about is this doctrine of executive privilege. So where does that come from, and uh, does it apply to these documents that the Justice Department, uh, through the FBI and a properly obtained search warrant, found in the possession of the former president? Well, the answer to the second question, the short answer to the second question, is we are just learning that. Uh, we don't know for sure. Um, it is kind of shocking that we don't because the scope of the privilege, which I'll explain in a minute, would suggest that if there are some privileges for the executive branch, they belong to the government. Uh, the purpose of executive privilege from the famous case of United States against Nixon, which uh, uh, brought Nixon down towards the end of Watergate, was uh, to protect, as the Supreme Court said, a constitutionally created privilege, to protect the confidentiality of advice to the president. That was sufficiently important to warrant, in general, being kept secret. But as we all know from the Nixon case, or those of us old enough to remember, and some of us learned in history, uh, that executive privilege can be overridden for purposes of a criminal prosecution. I or certainly a criminal I remember investigation. that case well. We, I yeah. think anybody who were who interested we, in the law remember U.S. versus you bet. Nixon. But this, this is what I remember, the yes. court ruling nine to nothing, as you said, which is that <clears throat> it is due to the notion of a separation of powers yep. that we grant branch that branch, the executive branch, that privilege. That's it is right. not because there's, hey, you don't have to give up what your documents say. It's the, the separation yeah. of powers. It, the idea is that in order for the executive branch to work properly, the president needs to have some measure of privacy with respect to his conversations with his aides aimed at giving him good advice. What President, former President Trump, and I say President Trump erroneously there because all of his pleadings call him President Trump. That's how his lawyers refer to him. 
They claim uh, that all of the documents um, uh, gathered during the search at Mar-a-Lago a month ago are potentially covered by executive privilege. And what is reasonably shocking about Judge Cannon's ruling is she said that might be true. We at least have to look at every single one of the documents that was taken and have a, a neutral party outside the government examine it in order to see whether it might be protected by executive privilege. But I thought that U.S. versus Nixon specifically said that doctrine of executive privilege that flows from this notion of separation of powers does not preclude a Justice Department from bringing criminal charges or the Congress from bringing an impeachment proceeding against the president because when you weigh the balance, law-breaking is more serious than what executive well, privilege is. Well, the U.S. against Nixon case did not reach uh, executive privilege in the context of an impeachment. So we do not have anything from the Supreme Court on that. But your first point with respect to criminal prosecution, you're absolutely right. And that is another reason why this uh, ruling from Judge Cannon uh, was so surprising. Uh, the, uh, she, in, in effect, she didn't hold that executive privilege applied, but rather she said we have to at least look at each of these documents to see if it, if it might apply. She rejected the Justice Department's categorical argument that the privilege couldn't apply to any of the documents for two reasons. The privilege belongs to the branch, not to trump the person, number one. And number two, we're in the middle of a criminal um, investigation. And there's not much of an explanation from the judge as to why the argument you just made didn't apply. There's no law from the judge. There's, I looked at there's it. There's not much. Couldn't find law there's, in it. There, there is not much. And this is, this is of course, uh, you know, from, from, uh, from uh, folks in our trade, uh, there's been, except for those closely allied with former President Trump, a lot of uh, shock and, 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 and outrage. One of the things that's, that's it's remarkable is, is that given how, uh, in conventional terms, plainly wrong, this decision was. Uh, the government, our Justice Department, is nevertheless obviously scared to seek appellate review. Why do you think that is? Because six of the 11 justices, judges, excuse me, on the 11th Circuit um, were appointed by President Trump and another two or three by President George W. Bush. So for they listeners are afraid of the courts. And the reason they're afraid of the courts, this is a... a Bad cases before bad judges make bad law. So there's a precedent to be made, and I think the Justice Department realizes you can hear this case being quoted when the, yeah. when the appellate yeah. division, the 11th Circuit. I think, I think they're concerned that the, in order to protect Trump that the 11th Circuit might in fact hold that former presidents um, can, under some circumstances, assert executive privilege to protect their conversations from the new administration. Um, and it, 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 seems, it seems kind of outlandish that, to me that that could happen, but plainly the Justice Department is very, very worried about it. None of us have enough information, so this is as unfair a question as I will ever ask you, Bruce Miller. If you were Merrick Garland, what would you do? Oh, if I were Merrick Garland on this question, 
I think I would do exactly what it looks like he has done. He's done two things. He has filed a notice of appeal with the 11th Circuit, so he's already appealed the decision. He has also filed a, a motion for clarification with the judge. And in that motion for clarification, what Garland's uh, staff has said is, um, we want you to allow us in the short run, despite your ruling, to look at 100 of the 11,000 documents that you have said might be protected by privilege. And these are the ones that are classified because the classified documents can't possibly belong to Trump or be subject to executive privilege. If you don't agree by Thursday to let us look at those hundreds, we are going to seek emergency relief from the 11th Circuit. So what Garland is doing is making clear that an appeal is in the offing, but hedging it as well by coming back to the judge and in a sense offering her an off-ramp uh, if, if she's interested in, 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 in taking it. So I think that's a, an excellent strategic judgment by Attorney General Garland. It's measured, uh, and yet it does not fold. Uh, it, it, it's aggressive, uh, but without being too aggressive, and it gives the opportunity for the Justice Department to limit the effects of this ruling. We are going to take a break. When we come back, this is the question I'd like you to answer when we come back, Bruce Miller, which is, <clears throat> do even though the judge wants to slow stuff down, and has said you may not use these documents until we have this quote-unquote special master review them. But what is the problem with the Justice Department bringing an obstruction of justice claim at this point? Can it attempt to charge the former president with obstruction of justice? Because clearly he lied in papers. His lawyers lied and said there is nothing down there at Mar-a-Lago, and now we know that that was not true. We're going to be back with Professor Emeritus Bruce Miller, our first Monday segment. I'm always up for learning. Never too old. We'll be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Don't Eisenberg on 1.5 WHMP. He really cares about you and me. When he doesn't pay his workers and he calls them slobs It's only cause he cares about American jobs Of course he's got your back And he cares about the middle class Even if he was raised by... When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts' way of saying we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families, and we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 101.5, and 12.40. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. At American National, we understand the tried and true farm and ranch lifestyle, and what's important to you is important to us. 
you deserve an insurance plan custom-made to meet all the specific needs of your agribusiness operation. American National offers flexible farm and ranch policies with package options to help better protect your livelihood. We're right by your side. For more information and to connect with a local American National agent, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. You want to feel important. You want to be part of something bigger, something that matters and can help change things. You want to feel like you belong. We know. We felt that way, too. And that's why we did something about it. We aren't just Army National Guard soldiers. We are normal people just like you. But our part-time service in the Army National Guard means we get to be more. When our communities are in need, we get the chance to stand up and do something about it. We get to serve in our own region and help the people we call neighbors. From the coasts of Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Jersey. The small communities of Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. To the dense forest of New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York, and historic Washington, D.C. We are here for our hometowns. And together, we can make a difference. Take on your legacy. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Army National Guard. Aired by the Massachusetts Broadcasters Association and this station. Hi, this is Kevin DeRosa, Vice President of Retail Operations at Greenfield Savings Bank. This noise you're hearing is the sound that a document shredding truck makes when it's preventing identity theft. And to help protect you from... And, and, and to help protect you from identity theft and fraud, Greenfield Savings Bank is holding a free shred fest on Saturday, September 17th from noon to 3 p.m. at our Turner's Falls branch at 282 Avenue A. Our free document shredding event is open to the public and you can bring up to three shopping bags of your unneeded documents, which could be used to steal your identity, such as bank statements, credit card slips, old utility bills, or anything with personal information on it. We'll shred them while you watch. Come to the Greenfield Savings Bank Free Document Shred Fest on Saturday, September 17th from noon to 3 p.m. at our Turner's Falls branch at 282 Avenue A. Member FDIC, member DIF, greenfieldsavings.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back, and thank you for joining us. We're talking to Bruce Miller. And during the break, I thought we were going to keep talking about Trump. What we did was talk with, with you, Dan, and with, with Bruce, our memory of United States versus Nixon, because there was a president who was facing criminal charges, and uh, uh, we all watched every evening... Sounds and feels familiar, doesn't it, Bruce? It, it sure does. So what about the obstruction of justice? Well, uh, obstruction of justice was one of the three crimes that the Justice Department cited in applying for the warrant to search Mar-a-Lago. So uh, there's no doubt that they are investigating uh, obstruction of justice, whether by former President Trump, uh, by people working with him, uh, by both, almost certainly not by neither. It's all, it's already there. Now, those of us who think that Donald Trump should be prosecuted, yep. we all point to the fact that there had to be, on the, on the face of the affidavit in support of that application for a search warrant, probable cause demonstrated that a crime had been committed. And those, as you say, or there were three crimes that were uh, alleged, and so 
a judge signed off on it and said yes. Absolutely. But there are, I think, obstacles to a successful obstruction of justice prosecution of Trump. And they were hinted at by a, a brief that Trump's lawyers filed today. I haven't in, seen it. In opposition to this, let's, let's look at the 100 classified documents. Can idea. you tell us what was filed today? Yeah, what was filed today was an argument that says... When it comes to presidential records, a president has a right to a copy of every record of his presidency, even if the National Archives are also entitled. And so there's nothing wrong with a president wanting to have uh, documents from his own presidency. Now, that may be right, may be wrong. But it does suggest something about the state of mind argument that will be made if Trump is indicted for what obstruction do you mean of by justice. that? That he did had no criminal intent. That he had a plausible belief that he was as entitled to these documents as the government is. It's confusing to me. This is not something I've researched, but yep. I thought that there was a presidential records there act. Is, there is a presidential. It says exactly act. the opposite. The presidential records act says that the government is entitled to all presidential records save for those that are personal. Trump also argues in this filing today that he has the power to decide which ones are personal and which ones are presidential. Um, and that's, this also may not be a serious argument, but it is aimed at setting up an argument that Trump is an innocent naïve that he at least thought that he had an, uh, an argument to be made for the fact that these are, number one, personal, and that, number two, he has a, a right to a copy. And there's no criminal sanctions at all in the Presidential Records Act. Uh, all of the remedies there are civil. So the argument that they're going to make if there's a, an indictment for obstruction is... Yes, you can facially sort of make out obstruction, except that if you look at the context, the presidential records documents, in this situation, uh, a president with a, with a law that is largely um, untested can make a claim that he reasonably believed that these documents were his. I think there's no doubt but that Trump still believes that these documents are his and that subjectively that's true. Now, do I think these arguments are worth anything? No. Thank do you. I think some jury might buy them? I don't know. Who knows? Somebody elected um, and, him, right? And so for this reason, especially uh, anti-Trump conservative commentators have suggested they ought to have something more on Trump than the failure to turn over the documents and the lies about it, but some evidence of further misuse if they're going to go after him for obstruction. If it's just wrongful possession, all of this muddying of the waters that is clearly being done. Uh, and he's got, he's got a, a new set of lawyers now, and they're, they're, this filing is, it reads a little better than their previous ones do. So the obstruction argument, listen, there, there, there it all is, Buzz, but, but you know uh, 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 we, can, we can muddy the waters, we can create weeds where there were none, I mean, we being the lawyers. And we and, try to and, in every and, case. And, and, and we do. Yeah. And we do. And I, I'm not suggesting these arguments would be successful. I know that, that Garland and his staff are thinking about this as a judgment call and that it's not an easy one. It's really easy. I, I, let me backtrack. No, it isn't easy. But I've had conversations with psychologists 
about their perceptions of Donald Trump based on, you know, anecdotal evidence, what they see. There's obviously so much we don't know, but I, I really have this image of somebody who, is, who feels so entitled because nobody ever says no. He, he gets what he wants either by uh, the ability to buy what he wants, to rip off other people because he has the ability to do that, or um, just the force of his denying personality. It's hard to make a rational argument to convince him that yes is the way to go. Instead, he always just gets what he wants. Um, so when you talk about a crime of intent state of mind and somebody who sees the world through those glasses i and, see what and you're that's saying. the kind of crime obstruction is yeah well hey dan remember when you asked me yes. about my weekend i said it was really wonderful yes bruce miller in a short 21 minutes managed to ruin my whole weekend <laughs> my job <buddy. laughs> uh, it's not usually what you do for me but I, I really, it's so uh, useful having you on this program to explain uh, these topical things that are uh, right in front of us. We're seeing it every day. It's, if it wasn't for the Queen's death, we would just be talking about privilege every morning, noon, and night. But um, this is really interesting. I, Bruce, think it's important. I think that we cannot let this former president defy the law. We got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. And people like you are the ones doing it. Bruce Miller, thank you so much. Thanks, Buzz. Thanks, Dan. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Megan Zinn is going to be here with Gwen Agna. She is uh, the vice chair of the Northampton School Committee. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP. He's got foreign policy. The Afternoon Buzz is brought to you by Lundgren, family-run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Massachusetts Legislature's Special Commission on Rural Schools is looking at ways to keep public schools in Western Mass afloat as fewer students enroll. Rep. Natalie Blay, who co-chairs the commission with Senator Adam Hines, explains. If we don't have those strong school systems, it's going to be increasingly difficult to bring people to this region to reverse this trend. Blay says infrastructure is vital. If we do not invest in infrastructure here in western Massachusetts, we are going to continue to see this population decline. Legislators are also pushing for more state aid to reach rural school districts through the Chapter 70 funding formula, which has led smaller schools to receive less financial aid than larger schools. The armory building at 67 Hope Street in Greenfield will be auctioned off on September 28th. A public viewing of the property will be held on September 20th from 10 a.m. to noon. The former National Guard armory was built in 1910 and is assessed at $1.2 million. It is zoned as Urban Residential District. The Northwestern DA's office is investigating a suspicious death in South Hadley. The body of a 71-year-old man was discovered just after 2 p.m. in his house at 37 Lawn Street on Friday afternoon. The death is considered suspicious and remains under investigation. The Westfield Police Department is asking residents to check their cameras for video this week after a number of car break-ins. The incidents have occurred within Park Street or the Squawfield Road area. Anyone with information is asked to call Detective Rick Mazza. 
For the rest of today, mostly cloudy, high 76 to 80. Tonight, mostly cloudy, chance for showers, overnight lows 62 to 66. And the outlook for Tuesday, mostly cloudy, showers and thunderstorms, highs in the upper 70s. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 115 WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy. Save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. In the late 30s, they started singing together at the Alabama Institute for the Negro Blind. In the 40s and 50s, they spread their gospel across the Jim Crow era South. You gotta keep the devil down in the hole. In the 60s, they shaped the sound of the civil rights movement, singing at events with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This Friday, they'll be singing at UMass. The Blind Boys of Alabama, this Friday, September 16th at UMass Amherst. Over 80 years of gospel. Along the way, teaming up with Stevie Wonder, Lou Reed, and Prince. Get tickets now at the UMass Fine Arts Center website and get ready. The Blind Boys of Alabama will raise the roof on the Frederick C. Tillis Performance Hall, this Friday, September 16th at UMass Amherst. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And it is that time schools are reopening, so of course, Megan's in. You are going to be talking about that and the, I don't know whether to call it a pandemic, any, what is it yeah, now? It's, it's, I think we're still in the maybe semi-post-pandemic era. Okay. Um, yeah, we... I think we're, I think we're yeah, yes, exactly. I think we're figuring this out anew every day, though I am getting a booster after the show today. Oh, I've got my so, appointment for Monday. Good, good. Um, so, but today we're going to talk about um, K-12 education and um, in this semi-post-pandemic uh, era. And I am talking to Gwen Agna. Um, and Gwen is, was the principal of Jackson Street Elementary School in Northampton for 24 years until her retirement in 2020. Uh, she is now in her first term on the Northampton School Committee, serving as the vice chair, and she is an educational consultant coaching principals. And Gwen is also the author, along with Shelley Rotner, of True You, A Gender Journey, which is a photographic picture book that celebrates kids and their wide-ranging gender, gender identities. And that just came out, yes? Just did, last yeah, week. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll ask you some about that um, okay. a little later on. But um, so you have um, a really interesting perspective on education, um, both um, because of the amount of time you've spent and um, your work in uh, Jackson Street for so long and now from the school committee and, and also your consulting with principals. So, so to start, what are the most significant challenges that remain in terms of kids catching up 
from the year or so of remote teaching and all of these um, breaks and, and, and time away from school? Well, I think because there was funding during the pandemic for additional staff mm -hmm. and additional materials, um, people were able to support students in their learning. And I know that some of the schools were able to hire more mm -hmm. specialists to support the students who had gaps in their learning. And I think we all resist the idea that there was learning loss yeah. because they weren't there. So right. they weren't losing anything. Right. <laughs> to, but um, they also did have experiences that mm -hmm. were important to them. Oh, so I think we yeah. were... Those of us Different in education, kind of education, I was at the end of the, I, my retirement was right at the end um, when the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And we were all concerned that students would be sort of blamed or mm. kept back mm -hmm. or that there mm -hmm. would be this idea that they would need to be remediated so that, you know, you would put them back in second grade if they missed one year or two years. Yeah. So there's been a lot of discussion and movement at the Department of Education mm -hmm. and throughout all the educators to say, they are not to be remediated. They're mm -hmm. to, we're to find out where they are now and what they were able to gain during that time, mm -hmm. which uh, they were able to. Megan is used to my interruptions. Go ahead. But what just happened last week was they raised the required score on the MCAS, MCAS yeah. which I right. felt like was punitive. Yeah, I think that, you know, I my politics are more on the Democrat side, so I do support um, the new... Um, governor who will be elected. And I think that her administration will bring in some fresh ideas about what the oversight that the so. Department of Education is going to have. You're here. Yeah. And I think that the Re Republicans have been fairly punitive. I think, unfortunately, I think that goes through Democrats too, because there's been such a corporate push yes. in education. Yeah. So I don't think they understand quite how students learn and what they need in order to mm -hmm, learn. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm hopeful that Maura Healy and a new Board of Education will review that decision. Yeah, no, that's, because, that, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me from, from my perspective um, no. as a parent, and um, I don't understand how that helps. Um, so in what ways is the pandemic still impacting our schools and the children's experience? I think in a variety of ways. I think the teachers, I think the at the beginning of the pandemic, the teachers were seen as heroes and the frontline mm -hmm. workers yes. along with everybody else who helped. And then the, it's kind of shifted because of the perception that maybe teachers were keeping schools closed. Oh, goodness. I don't, I know that that's not true, but I mm -hmm. do think that the it kind of shifted so that there was a lot of blaming teachers. Yeah. They were blaming communities for keeping masks on and you know, it just sort of reversed what we were seeing at the beginning, mm -hmm. which I think was a lot of support for teachers, right. which we needed in the first place. Um, so now I think there's some catch-up to do mm -hmm. around that to sort of change the mindset about how teachers are viewed. And I think it's reflected in the fact that there are a lot of districts, including Northampton, that can't fill all the positions. Yeah. Because teachers are kind of a little bit gun-shy, as mm -hmm. it were, mm -hmm. for being on show and being able to explain why it is that they're doing what they're doing mm -hmm. now, given the fact that schools were closed for two years or a year and a half, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And a lot, a lot who were near retirement, I yep. think, decided that this was mm -hmm. that this was time to go. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, you know, on that note, um, it's kind of jumping ahead for me. My question's a little mm-hmm. bit, but um, my husband works at the College of Education at UMass, and there, um, you know, going by their enrollment, there are still a lot of people who want to become teachers. Um, it's it's very heartening to um, see those numbers and that people are, you know, primarily young people, but but career changers are well as well are still coming up and want to be teachers. What do you think? You know what continues to draw people to to K twelve teaching in spite of the inherent challenges just of the job, let alone everything outside of that—the high stakes testing, the risks of violence, the negative portrayals in the media—and um, now schools are being turned into battlegrounds on issues of race and gender expression and sexuality. What? What, what draws people continually, in spite of all of that, to this profession? That is a really good list that you just <laughs> put out there as far as what the pres- pressures on teachers. However, those who have experienced a good teacher mm-hmm. or those mm, who have yes. had a chance to dabble in it really know what an amazing job it is. Mm-hmm. And those of I worked with at Jackson Street School... You know, the, we all had the challenges, and we would talk about the challenges, but we would also talk about the benefits and the rewards. Yeah. And the rewards are unbelievable, and I don't know that there's any job I, to do that you mm-hmm. get that kind of reward. Those relationships mm-hmm. that you have with the children yeah. and then also with their families, for the most part, it's positive. I think even though the political atmosphere right now is that we blame the teachers for this or we don't do CRT or we don't teach this or we're going to ban books. But I think, you know, I can speak as a person who lives in a, in a fairly progressive area that we're not facing those. We still, however, do face families who have concerns about what's being taught in schools. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think you can see through that. Yeah. And it's an, it's an amazing job to do. Yeah. And I miss it a lot. <laughs> yeah, and to be just in that community of, of young learners all mm. the time in their families. And I imagine particularly at the elementary schools because you're, you're with those kids for six years. And mm. if they have siblings, like I, my kids went to Bridge Street School and I was part of that community for 10 years because of the space of my kids. And, mm-hmm. and they are really wonderful communities. I, I, was, yeah. I was kind of brokenhearted not to be part of that community mm-hmm. anymore when mm-hmm. my younger son finished fifth mm-hmm. grade. Um, and does, has the, has the pandi- pandemic caused any changes in schooling for good or bad that you think will stick with us beyond mm-hmm. this? I think the good that's come out of it is there's a lot more emphasis on outdoor learning. Oh, wonderful. And because of the mm-hmm. pandemic, when students went back into schools, they really didn't want to spend a lot of time in school. Yeah. Schools are not set up ventilation-wise no. for the kind of um, protocols that we needed to yeah, have. Yeah, these old so buildings. The too. old buildings. Mm-hmm. So every opportunity there was that would be outdoors, whether it be lunch outdoors mm-hmm. or classes would meet outdoors, some... Schools don't have um, good outdoor spaces, but people found them. Mm-hmm. I think that that is something for me that came out of it, that kids are just very used to being outside. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. I think the downside is that it's caused that kind of pressure on educators mm-hmm. to yeah. think about making up for mm-hmm. this kind of loss instead of being encouraged to look at, at their learners in the same way you would in September, no matter what. You have a group of learners that you have to figure out where they are. Yep. You can't assume that because they were in second grade, they know everything that mm-hmm. second grade mm-hmm. taught. So you really, it obliges you as an educator to look at, at every learner. And um, 
I think that that's really hard for teachers to have that pressure on them, yeah. to, especially when you said about MCAS raising the stakes, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's hard for educators, but it's a wonderful ta- place to take a break. Yes. We're going to take a, a break for a few minutes. We are talking with Gwen Agna, who is the vice chair of the Northampton School Committee with her quarter of a century of experience at Jackson Street Elementary School as a principal. We'll be back uh, right after these messages with Megan Zinn and with Gwen. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. When did the universe form most of its stars, and why did it stop? Join us for a preview of the upcoming Yes, It's Back, the SciTech Cafe, plus... We'll be talking baseball with the Duke, Duke Goldman. So please join us Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Learn Spanish, learn French, or German. Learn a language with the International Language Institute. Beginner, intermediate, and advanced conversation classes in person or online. ILI is a Massachusetts PDP provider. Plus, earn continuing ed units. Learn Spanish, French, German, Italian, Portuguese. 12-week part-time classes start September 19th. Sign up online. One of the world's top language schools is right here. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Eat more kale, says the bumper sticker. Why assume I'm not eating enough kale? If you eat at Paul and Elizabeth's, there's always kale. There's the Caesar salad with kale, with romaine, or both. There's the vegetarian platter. Vegetables sautéed to perfection, including kale. Or just order a side of sautéed greens. Some people treat kale like one of those good-for-you-but-no-one-really-likes-it things. Maybe those people have never been to Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. Inside Thorns in Northampton. Sign up for Will Bike for Food, the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts annual cycling fundraiser presented by Stop and Shop. Every dollar raised provides four meals for those at risk of hunger. Ride 10, 25, 50, or even 100 miles on Sunday, September 25th, or ride your own miles on your own time throughout September. Registration is just 40 bucks and includes a t-shirt and an all-access pass to the C.E. Floyd after party with food, drinks, live music, and more. Sign up or donate to a team or individual at willbikeforfood.org. If you receive a message from a stranger telling you they accidentally sent money to your Venmo account and ask you to send it back, don't. The Better Business Bureau reports it's a scam and an old one at that. But like many old scams, that one appears to be making a comeback in recent weeks. There's some good news for used car shoppers. Cox Automotive reports the wholesale price of the average used car or truck fell by 4% in August. That's the sixth decline in the last seven months. Still, used car prices remain much higher than before the COVID-19 pandemic. Subaru is recalling more than 188,000 2017 to 2019 Imprezas. The company says the left and right side reflex reflector and the left side low beam reflector may not adequately reflect light. It says that could cause a failure to throw light onto the roadway and create a hazard at night. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. 
And we are back with Megan Zinn and Gwen Agno. We were just talking about heroes. Uh, Gwen is obviously one of them. Um, Certainly by way of happen. disclosure, both of my children, now 50 and 53 respectively, mm. have spent their careers as educators and supporting Great. educators. And so I agree. Heroes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So do you feel like as a whole that this experience has changed kids in any fundamental ways, or at least the kids you've interacted with? I think it couldn't help but change mm -hmm. kids. And, and I think that it's a variety of ways that it's changed kids, good and bad, just mm -hmm. like we were talking about the positive and negative. The positive is I think they realize that they're part of a community. And mm, that, that's nice. you know, the the sign for me was there was no question about putting masks on and there was never argument about yeah. it. It was pretty rare that you had to say, you really have to put your mask on. They knew that they were being responsible for themselves and for others. They got that a lot better than a lot of adults. I was going to yeah. say <laughs> that they were good role models for that. Um, and I think that the, it also helped them understand that there's something larger and people who, you know, like Mr. Rogers says, the, the, People who, mm -hmm. the helpers, yeah. I think they realized there were a lot of helpers out there that were helping, keeping them safe, including their parents and their teachers. But I think the, the downside, however, is it was traumatic for everybody, not yeah. just the kids. Yeah. And so when you see your grownups mm -hmm. traumatized, mm -hmm. when you see your grownups really anxious, it can't help but make them yeah. feel that. And yeah, I their think foundation's a little shaky. It was really shaky. And I think they are shaky. I think mm -hmm. they're... I think schools report there's a little more behavior stuff going mm -hmm. on, a um, little more disengagement because they all were on their computers. Yes. And they needed to re remind them that there's a teacher who's going to be helping them now instead of <laughs> just the, uh, the screen, the Chromebook. So, you know, it's a real mix. I think. Yeah. Um, on, you know, on that note of, of um, you know, the, the anxiety and, and, and the um, concerns about children, um, um, you know, I've had a sense that the pandemic helped people outside of schools see how important to have good social emotional support in schools. Um, at least, you know, at, at a time people did seem to understand this. Do you think we move the needle on that, that this will be a priority among administrators and legislators? Or do you think we're just going to go back to where yeah. we began? Well, the state has put it as part of the goals. Oh, good. For sure. That um, they have this what's called an acceleration roadmap that's mm -hmm. supposed to help what they call accelerate learning rather than remediate. So they've, they've right. laid that out. Mm -hmm. And a big part of it is SEL, social okay. emotional learning. So they, you know, I think it, there's there's an, a, an agenda that the state of uh, Massachusetts has oh, for good. schools. And I think many of the schools in Northampton would support that. Good. They know good. that. Are they putting money behind it? <laughs> the the, the state, question. that is. I, well, you know, I think the federal, the... Um, Biden's, I forget what it's called, the Rescue Act, ARPA. Uh, ARPA. Oh, there you go, yeah, I think Rescue Plan. Yeah, I think the Rescue Plan has really a lot of um, put in some. And I again, I think that some people aren't giving him credit for a lot of what's going on at the Department of Education at the federal level. Mm -hmm. um, Miguel Cardona is a really great Secretary of Education. He is not as corporate as we've had in the past oh, that's in Democratic wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. administrations. And he really understands what's going on in classrooms. So... Uh, for me, it's hopeful. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Um, do you think 
you know, the, the pandemic will affect kids who have been specifically elementary age kids. I mean, it's going to affect everybody a little differently. But do you, um, do you think we're going to see noticeable generational shifts um, given um, what these kids experienced as elementary school kids? Um, like, in, in, if, what kind of ways do you might anticipate this? That's a good question. I think that we will see, again, the positives. I think mm-hmm. people may, you know, I think there's a, a group of young people now who are more community-minded. Mm-hmm. And That's there's, we're seeing that in the get out the vote, but yep. also the younger people who are coming up mm-hmm. really understand, you know, the, the function of the CDC and the mm-hmm. government <laughs> yeah. and all those things yeah. that I think people took for granted or yeah. kind of put away, mm-hmm. marginalized. So I think that that is a good thing that will happen. I, you know, I, I, I worry that kids are going to be less trustful, though, because I think mm-hmm. there's this dynamic in society right now that don't trust the es- experts, so that yeah. they're getting mixed messages about who's the who are the helpers, who, who, and yeah. who, who is supposed the, to be yeah, trusted, and, and, and who knows who yeah. knows information and who yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Well, and what is what is fact and what is belief oh. that. That, you know, not, I mean, this region, I think we're really lucky to have educators like you mm-hmm. and parents. And parents who like, understand the, the importance of letting know, the teachers just really, do their jobs. Every day I pinch myself and, and just, I'm so glad that I landed in this, in this area because it's, it, uh, it's just a rational, intelligent, caring environment we live in here. But throughout the country, there, there is this um, celebration of raw belief as if it was fact. If, yep. yeah. if I mm-hmm. just say that, you know, Satan is in this room, then Satan is in this room, and mm-hmm. we don't have to have any empirical fact to prove or disprove something that is clearly a belief. And that worries me. What can educators do about that, Gwen? Well, as long as they have the license, as it were, <laughs> to be able to help people understand what is the truth and what are facts, you know, then we are able to make sure that people don't follow the conspiracy theorists and that we do have the right books to read and we are able to talk about what the real history was, like the 1619 Project really needs to be something that's not seen as blaming white people, Mm -hmm. but really as something, is a history that we have not really been made aware. It happened. So hopefully that can prevail but uh, you know it's very concerning some some states are not going to be allowing that and that's very concerning it's extremely concerning mm-hmm. um, on all sorts of the, the things that they're not allowing on all sorts of subjects it's what extremely a school committee Megan do well I should mm-hmm. ask Gwen what is what is can, what can a school committee do to promote uh, the ability we're not supposed to be teaching kids what to think we're supposed to be teaching them how to think yeah mm-hmm. critical thinking skills yes, I exactly. think is key yeah well, the school committee has very um, prescribed duties, and that came from the Education Reform Act in 1992, so that we really, our oversight is the budget and the hiring of the superintendent and being able to respond to our constituents and support the teachers and support the educators. I think a big piece of that is the hiring of the superintendent. I think that leadership is the key, key in yeah. any institution, and if we have the right superintendent who can support critical thinking and support educators who are helping students understand what the facts are, that's going to be a big role for school committee to do, as well as advocate for budget. I think mm-hmm. we're facing a really difficult budget season coming yeah, up. Yeah, we are. Um, on on a, and a more positive note, mm-hmm. um, I want to hear a little bit about your book. You have a new book that came out um, this 
last week, last week, last week mm-hmm. um, uh, that you've created with Shelley Rotner, True You, A Gender Journey, which is a photographic picture book that celebrates kids and their wide-ranging gender identities. Can you uh, just tell me real quickly um, kind of how this mm-hmm. came about and where people can get it locally? Yeah. Shelly and I got together when I retired, and, you know, she's written a lot of books, and I hadn't written a book. And we said, what, what's a good topic? And I immediately said gender. Yeah, wonderful. Because we've been dealing with that a lot in mm-hmm. classrooms that, you know, children are exploring, and it's fine, and yeah. they're open. So we wanted to give that message in our book. We wanted to say it's okay, and okay to the grown-ups, too. So it's it's available in the bookstores. High Five Books apparently has sold out. So oh, that's wonderful yes. news! Wow. Yeah, yeah. And we have wonderful bookstore too. Eric Carl on October first. We have a special presentation at two o'clock. It's a Saturday, and we will read our book and sign our book. Ah, and it is it's comforting that you know where we live that this kind of thing is celebrated and not banned, um, yeah. which is extremely. Comforting. I'm on the North Ed- Northampton Education Foundation board, and we spend a, we spend a lot of money funding anti-racism programs in the elementary schools and buying and um, critical race theory isn't an evil thing. It's not. Well, it's, it's also not, not in, at the elementary level. It's at the colleges. graduate level. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but teaching anti-racism, teaching students how to be open to all people is something you can do at the elementary level. And there's a wonderful educator in the area, Tiffany Jewell, who's also yeah. a Jackson Street parent. And her books have been banned across the country. But, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure any, ours is going to be banned, too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. Yes. That's, a, that's, a, that's mm-hmm. a quite a feat. Um, but, and, and, you know, NEF um, is actually buying many copies of her books and getting it in the school. So, mm-hmm. you know... There's good things happening, um, and in a lot of districts, mm-hmm. um, the opposite of what's uh, that that we're all of what we're all fearful of. Mm-hmm. So. And the name of the book is True You: New A Gender Journey. Mm-hmm. Sounds really wonderful. Thank you for writing it. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Um, tomorrow, we're going to have a Center for New American staff attorney Alex Kazem. He's gonna uh, he's got his fingers in almost every Afghan resettlement case around here, and he's going to update us on what's happening in that regard. And, of course, we're going to have Jackie Walsh's playbill with Don Sanders, who's renovating a 1,600-seat theater in Holyoke, where he hopes to attract traveling Broadway shows to Holyoke, Massachusetts. that would be wonderful. So tune in tomorrow. Gwen, thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Megan, thank you as often. Thank you. And we'll be back with you tomorrow. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Minutemen football lives here. Olsen lops it. Josiah Johnson. Enzo. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.